I don't know that you all realize the inner struggles sometimes I deal with in pastoring and preaching and bringing the word and challenging you. I really believe that God has called me to mature saints for the work of the ministry. So much of what we've been taught all of our lives is, is just, it's inadequate. It's not wrong. It's not evil. It's not heresy. It's none of those things. It's just inadequate for us to mature into the new man or woman that God has created us to be. And there's things that, that we just uh, believe because we've been taught them that, um, uh, I don't know any other way to say it, but they just, in my mind, aren't adequate for what really matters in our walk with the Lord. And I know many of you have heard me say this over and over and over again, but you know, when, when we think that everything hinges on conversions, and we think that it's just about converting people to go to heaven and accepting heaven, we're missing. You know, first place I ever went was to church. When I was two weeks old, I went to church. Went to church as a child growing up. And, you know, I asked myself the question, how many times can you get saved? How many times can you get born again? Do we go every week to hear and people have the opinion, you ought to be preaching born again, born again, born again, born again, born again, born again. Well, once you're born, and, and how many of us are born again? Let me see your hand. Now it's your responsibility to grow up. I mean, it's not just about having babies. It's about what are you going to do? The work starts after the baby arrives. And you know, those of us who have adult children now know it was a whole lot easier when they were little than dealing with Adult children. How many of you agree with that? Okay, all right. So as the body of Christ matures, we've got to accept the responsibility of what are we going to do for the body of Christ to come to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. He clearly stated in Ephesians that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the maturing of the saints. I accepted that as a pastor to be my calling to mature saints for the work of ministry. Working with Habitat is a work of ministry for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ, and that is going to happen until we come to the unity of the faith and of to the knowledge of the Son of God and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants His body to mature, to grow up, to not remain 
babies and not be carried about with every wind of doctrine, but to understand what really matters. I started last week talking about what really matters. I got to listening to some uh, messages and to some sermons this week, and I was in the car some listening uh, to some uh, Downloads. What what uh, what's your what do you listen to on your iPhone? Podcasts. And I got all this stuff, and I said, "Boy, I need to preach that. I need to preach that." And I got started putting some stuff together, and then <sighs> late last night, the Lord said to me, uh, "You started something last week that matters." And I know what you want to do, but I really would like to you get back to what really matters. So that's where we are. Does it matter to you that we try to do what the Lord wants us to do? So I, I'm, I'm doing my best to, to, to do what I believe the Lord wants me to do in preaching His Word to us here at Rama Christian Center. I started last week with a quote by Dwight L. Moody, and I want to read it again to you just to kind of set the stage and to rehash. I'm not going to try to rehash last week's message because I've got a lot, but Dwight L. Moody, the great 19th century evangelist and author, stated this. He said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Now hear me. I am not saying that making converts doesn't matter. But for converts to be born again and become a babe in Christ and 40 years later still be a babe in Christ is a crisis in a bad direction. So it's not just about having new converts and babies. He literally told us to make disciples. I'll get to that in just a moment. But my question in dealing with what really matters is, what's God's ultimate goal for human history? You understand, history is His story. It's God's story that we're trying to understand. History is His story. The other thing we need to ask ourselves, what is the human responsibility in God's plan? When we understand God's plan and we understand His purpose, and we understand that we are living in certain times, what's God's plan and what is our human responsibility for the times that we are living in? My personal opinion is that what really matters is that you and I align ourselves with Him and co-labor with Him to fulfill His ultimate purpose. It really doesn't matter what me, you, or anybody else on the planet thinks ought to be happening. 
What really matters is what's God's ultimate intention for humanity and everything happening on planet earth. You want to talk about God's will. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, pastor, is it God's will for people to save? Absolutely. It's, 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 it's absolutely essential. But he doesn't save them with no purpose. He saves you here on the earth with a purpose in mind. Now, in my opinion, what matters first is finding the government of God, I could say the kingdom of God, but finding the government of God and aligning yourself with His purpose. Now that we're born into the family of God, now that we're growing and maturing, we've got to discover His purpose and align our lives with His purpose, not spend all of our time praying for Him to help us in our purpose. We've got to align ourselves with His purpose and find out what's He wanting to do. So our spiritual journey starts with, and I'm saying it like this for impact, being born into a stable. Who, who else was born into a stable? Jesus. So we get born into a stable. But what was his ultimate goal? Not to just remain a child, but this thing ends, born in a stable, and ends in a new city, Jerusalem. What do you mean? New Jerusalem. Pastor, I, 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 I don't get that. Well, listen carefully. The creator of the universe chose to enter this world as a human in the person of Jesus Christ. He chose to live here in Jesus as a man. God chose to experience this world with all of its pain, with all of its grief, with all of its difficulties. And this man, Jesus, became, listen to me, the last Adam and the second man preached on that before. We should be mature enough to understand. He was the last Adam. He was the second man. Jesus walked through life without undue privilege, without rank, without resources to demonstrate to us what is it like to live on earth as a man, as a human being on this planet the way God intended for mankind to live. Now remember, he was the last Adam. He was the second man. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Those of us who have been born again and born in a stable are no longer in Adam. We are 
in Christ. So God, through Jesus, identified with humanity, and Jesus most often referred to himself not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. You read Jesus' references of himself, and he would reference himself as the Son of Man. When we see ourselves being born in a stable, what I want you to see in the picture that I'm trying to draw with that is that Christ is now born in us. Do you understand that? He is now born in us. Now in this journey that we ourselves are following, in the steps of Abraham. We're under an Abrahamic covenant. I don't have time to go through and justify everything I'm saying. I just hope that you can pick up on this and that you're mature enough to hear what I'm trying to say. But we are following in the steps of Abraham when it says he went out looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. We know now as we read through all of the scriptures that we have that Abraham was looking for a new city, Jerusalem, new city that John saw coming down out of heaven as a bride prepared, the new city of Jerusalem was, if you, if, all you gotta do is go read the book of Revelations and you'll realize that it's not a planet three miles south of Mars, it's not heaven in some other dimension, some other place, somewhere out in space, but the, the, the bride of Christ was the new city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven manifested here on the earth. And, and, and there's just so much to that. I've tried to teach it in bits and pieces through the years, but what I'm saying is the new Jerusalem is something that we are a part of this very moment, and that's what we're looking for. Our desire... Our desire is to focus on the end game. Now look at me, listen to me. Where are you going to end up if you don't know where you're going? If you believe that heaven is there and God is trying to bring heaven here, if you go there, you'll miss it. Man, I can see some of y'all, your mind's going, what are you saying? I'm not unsettling you or trying to. I'm just trying to get you to see that he said, here's how you pray. And, and all of you know this. I've said it thousands of times. How do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now, today I want to try to show you why this matters. this matters. The end game, as I would call it, is where God focused his goal, and what's God's goal for human history. Now, I think most of us would agree that the consummation of redemptive history is the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth. 
What I mean by that is, what did Jesus preach? Jesus preached the kingdom of God is where? He didn't say the kingdom of God is on a planet three miles south of Mars. He didn't say that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are really synonymous terms throughout Scripture. And he was saying when he came that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now listen carefully to me state this. Kingdom, the word kingdom, say kingdom. Kingdom, kingdom signifies God's irrevocable and invisible presence that gives direction and purpose to the entire earth and all of humanity, whether we are aware of it or not. Pastor, what are you saying? The kingdom of God is going to keep on coming whether you believe it or not. Why? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Jesus is praying that, and his kingdom is going to keep on coming. Now, please hear me say this. His kingdom is not a place. His kingdom is not an institution his kingdom is not a prescribed lifestyle. His kingdom is not a set of doctrinal beliefs. His kingdom is a person. Christ. Now, God is spirit. We, we, we understand that. God is spirit, and entering his kingdom is a relational experience. It is a relational encounter with God's person. If I could say it to you like this, it is becoming knowledgeable and coming into a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. We understand that. They comprise the family of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three are one. We hear that. But kingdom is coming into a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me show you this in Scripture the best way I can to just get you. In Matthew 28, verse, 20, verse 19 says this. After he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, he received the kingdom, and he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A sweet society that when we accept Christ and we become baptized in water, we are baptized into a communion, a fellowship, a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I really want you to understand this. I want you to catch this. Having a relationship with the kingdom of God, with the government of God, with the Godhead is about a relationship, not about a religion. We're not after religion. God's not after religions. He's after relationships. Now listen to me. When we are baptized in water, we are expressing, listen to how I say this, intentionality. We are expressing intentionality to embrace Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we are being baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do you mean? Baptized into a relational encounter with God. I hope you get this. Don't want to lose you. Water baptism is not primarily about forgiveness. If it were about forgiveness, why did Jesus, who never did anything he needed forgiving for, say to John the Baptist, you need to baptize me. I want to set an example. He had no sin to forgive. Well, but pastor, he took on the sins. He had not taken the sins of mankind on him yet. What are you saying? Well, I'm just saying, again, we've taught water baptism just in one aspect of it. and we, we, We've taught it from a certain perspective. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's inadequate. Jesus primarily was baptized for governmental reasons, not for forgiveness reasons. Pastor, what do you mean? Well... When we embrace Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus was saying, I believe that now I'm baptized, I'm coming into a position of what I should experience and what should happen in a governmental issue here on planet Earth. Again, he had nothing to be forgiven for. 
Now, again, I'll reiterate I believe baptism is about knowing the Father and identifying with a relational thing. I, and, and I could go through all kinds of things through Scripture, and, and Lynn Howes is a master at doing this, and I've heard him do it a hundred times. But he, he talks about the children of Israel leaving, going through the Red Sea, being baptized in a new thing. He can talk about Jesus being baptized and then spending 40 days out in the wilderness and, and, and the, the children of Israel spent 40 years. And, and, you know, he goes through all of these things that he could teach and do. And that's just not, that's, I'm a pastor. I'm not a prophet. I don't, I don't, I, don't, I, I can't get into all that. But there's so much that we could talk about when, when we understand a little bit about baptizing. But we are seeking the city that Abraham went out looking for. If you'll remember in Hebrews, we have not come to Mount Zion, but we have come to the new city, to the city, the new city, Jerusalem, to a, a living God. And, 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 and that's, where, that's where we are. We're, we're in this new Jerusalem as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. Now, Jesus' final instruction, we've, we've, we've talked about this in the last few weeks when I talked about inheritance and some things with there, but... Jesus' final instruction before he went, left the earth to sit at the Father's right hand, he gave some final instructions and he said things like, you, you don't need to know all that the Father has planned. You will be empowered. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will empower you to tell the world that there is a brand new government on the earth and the new government on the earth is the kingdom of God where you can have a personal relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're baptized into this relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and this kingdom, listen to me, is unshakable. There will be, of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's why I know who holds our future. Why? Because we've been baptized into a kingdom that will never be conquered. You're not going to hear that on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, or any other news organization. All right, just so you understand it. Now, everybody okay? Everybody with me? Now follow me. I'm still dealing with his final instructions before he left here. Part of his instructions, as I said, you don't need to know everything at this moment that I've planned. You will be empowered to tell the hurting world that there's a new government on the earth. You will be able to show them how to live under this government. You're going to be able to show them how to do it. What else are you want? You're going to baptize them into it. That's what you're going to do. You're going to baptize into it. 
And he says, and here's the good news, I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end. That's what he said. Now, there is a human responsibility in God's plan and purpose for the time in which you and I, that we are living in today. What's my responsibility? Is my responsibility just to get saved, just to go to church, just to pay tithes, just to do certain things, just to be nice, just to walk in love? Is my responsibility just a set of rules and regulations of things that I must do? What is my human responsibility in the times in which we are living? Now listen to me. It's not merely surviving till the end. I grew up in church and every testimony was, y'all pray that I hold out to the end. And I think what's so great to this life is you got to hold out to the end. Let me make a couple statements to you. You know what's interesting to me? Jesus never, never invited anyone into the new birth. Never. Never invited anyone. I challenge you. If you can find it, I'd like to see it. But here's what he did do. He invited people to follow him and to take his yoke upon him. Now, I'm fully aware that he told Nicodemus that you had to be born again to enter the kingdom, but he never invited Nicodemus into being born again, and he didn't pray a sinner's prayer with Nicodemus. Say, Pastor, what do you say? Well, you're going to have to decide what I'm saying. More importantly, what's the Holy Spirit saying? More importantly is, what's God trying to say to us? And what is He wanting us to know and understand? You know, I touched on this a little bit last week. But accepting Christ's yoke... Being yoked with Christ leads us to follow Him into water baptism. The reason you need to be baptized is because Jesus, who did committed no sin, led the way and was baptized. The Holy Spirit, when He was baptized, descended upon Him. In the New Testament, if you really study water baptism in the New Testament... Water baptism in the New Testament was accepted as a part of entering into life and being delivered from darkness. In other words, listen to me, you've heard this. We are translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of His love. 
water baptism is a significant thing in understanding how that transformation takes place, that we come out of darkness, living in sin, living, living in, in, in uh, uh, not being able to see, and being translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And it's, in, it's just encouraging to me that He calls it the kingdom of the Son of His love because God is love. And, and, and when, when we understand that or as we understand that. So when, if we understand New Testament baptism, here's what we're understanding, that we are confessing to the world when we are baptized that we're being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. Listen to me. It's more than joining a church. It's more than being baptized into a denomination. I'm grateful that denominations understand baptism and want people to be baptized. I'm grateful for all that there. But again, I think we've been inadequate of explaining what's really happening and what's taking place. And I think God wants us to see because as maturing Christians, we need to understand we're not in darkness. We're children in light. When His Spirit comes into us, His Spirit will lead us and guide us into how much truth? All truth. What are you saying? When we come under the government of God, now, now, now listen to me. See, the children of Israel did not want to follow in Abraham's thing. They were under an Abraham covenant. They didn't want to follow that way. They decided that they were going to violate the Abrahamic covenant because they wanted rules. And that's when God, God didn't really want to give them rules, but He gave them rules because if you're not going to be governed by something, you got to have rules. You either, you either are governed by the Holy Spirit or there's going to have to be rules or you're going to get out of hand. That's just the way, that's the way human beings were. Adam should have been governed by the relationship that he had with God, but he violated the relationship. He and Eve got into a situation where they violated the government of God, walking with them, talking with them, fellowshipping with them, living with them. He put them here for a purpose, and then they violated all that. I don't need to get into all that. But then we've got to understand we're transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, Paul gives us what I believe to be a pattern, a pattern, did I say Philippians 4, Philippians 2? Now watch. Baptized out of the kingdom darkness, translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And here's a pattern that I believe Paul gives us. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, I'm going to read all of this and then we'll back up and talk about it for a minute. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery 
to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now watch, back in verse 6, if you would. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Does man have a problem with that? Let me, let me just ask you a question. How often do we play God in our own existence? Deciding what we will do or not do with our own sovereignty. It's kind of like What's in it for me? Do we play God? Now watch. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. One translation says, being found in appearance, he humbled, humbled himself. He emptied himself. What do you say? Jesus laid aside all of his rights and privileges. He laid aside his personal sovereignty to take on being a servant. Do you remember Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served? Who was he? He was God in the flesh. And he came here to serve, not to be served. When it says he was, took the form of a bondservant, what I believe that he was saying is he yoked himself with his father to do whatever his father wanted to do being yoked to him. I think us being yoked with Christ is coming to a place that I'm willing to not go where I want to go, do what I want to do, say what I want to say, but be yoked to Christ and begin living my life under a new government where Christ is the head of that government and I want to go where he wants me to go, do what he wants me to do, say what he wants me to say. And it's interesting to me in verse 8 when he says, and being found in appearance as a man. Let me, let me try to illustrate this to you. Do you remember when Jesus came and they brought to him money and he was saying something about the money and, and he got the coin. He said, give me a coin. He says, whose picture's on this? You remember that? Whose picture was on it? And Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God. Now, having wrote the Melchizedek key and having studied tithing and offering and all those things, I'd only heard that rendition of that 
from a financial viewpoint. But let me do this. Jason, come here. Rob, y'all come here and stand and face the congregation. Just stand there and face them. Render, I don't even have a coin. Got a dollar. Well, it's a five. Render unto Caesar. It could have been a George Washington, it could have been Abraham Lincoln, it could have been some other president, but render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. And why did they say render unto Caesar that which is Caesar? Because the image that was on the coin signifies who it is. Now watch. What image, listen how I said it, what image is standing before me? I don't necessarily see the image of Jason. Kind of believe that these guys were made in the image of God. Huh? Hey, Jesus, Louis Jesus, come up here. Stand there with him. Just stand there beside him. Now, I did this on purpose because I want you to see something. If this was Jesus, I would see Jesus of Nazareth who was also created in the image of God. If I'm going to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God, I should be treating this man no different than this man, no different than this man. Oh, oh, I, 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 I've got to love Jesus. Render unto God what belongs to him. Amen. What are you saying? They all equally. Do you remember what I just read? Jesus thought it not robbery. Now look at me, look at me. See, having taught on tithing, what's the difference in thievery and robbery? What's the difference in larceny and robbery? There's a good book called The Melchizedek Key. If you want to know, you can read it, okay? But let me just tell you. In order to be charged with robbery, 
You have to have a weapon and threaten bodily harm. Larceny or thievery is sneaking in when nobody's there and taking their possessions. Robbery is when you are there and you threaten them bodily harm. Help me, Lord. I shouldn't be treating my brothers any different than I'm treating Jesus. Why? Because they are the body of Christ. We corporately are the body of Christ. Okay, Jesus, y'all can sit down. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and listen to me, and unto God that which is God. Things that matter. Watch. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Now watch. Why is it that we, the body of Christ, thinks that gifts of the Spirit and healing and manifestation of God's healing power should only be done through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers when we corporately are the body of Christ. Oh, Rob can't touch me. He's just a man. Dave can't heal me. He's just a man. Is he really just a man? He's the body of Christ. Do you think it matters how we see one another? Huh? Does it matter? It matters how we see one another. It matters how we view one another. Listen to me. When Jesus approached hurting people, <laughs> I told you he didn't ask anybody to be born again. But when Jesus approached hurting people, he didn't tell them how sinful they were. Never. He didn't tell them anything about going to heaven. I challenge you to find me one place where Jesus told somebody 
or invited somebody, they could go to heaven. Wonder why? Well, maybe it was because he wasn't trying to take them to heaven. I just looked down there and saw a microphone down there just like mine, and I thought, do I have my mic on? He wasn't trying to take people to heaven. Jesus came bringing heaven to them. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus also also restored them to what is good. Boy, I got in a big way of doing illustration and I, I... I've got my time gone. I want to show you a couple things and then I'll quit. Jesus wants to live through us what is good, what we're created to do, eating the tree of life. He gave the original pair things over authority over all creation. Now, I know this isn't very large, I know y'all can't, E-A-R, Y'all see what that is? Earth. Y'all all knew that was earth, right? All right. Heaven. When Adam and Eve were placed on the earth, Heaven and earth were one. Sin caused separation, death. They were separated. Jesus came bringing New Jerusalem, heaven. back to its original place. And you and I, as the body of Christ, as the church, are participating in His finished work. What do you mean? Jesus went about doing good healing all 
that was oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Wonder what we should be doing. Doing good, healing all. Do you know our problem? We have an identity problem. We, the church, the body of Christ, don't know who we are. And until you and I start rendering unto God that which is God's. Well, pastor, what's God? Right there, right there, right there, right there. Till I start seeing God in you and rendering the God that's in you access to you and rights to you and you be everything that God made you to be instead of looking for every fault and flaw in you every improper characteristic seeing everything that's not what it should be but seeing God wonder how our identities would begin to change. People are trying to go to heaven and Jesus came bringing heaven to us. Now if you're too religious to get that, it's okay because you can still die and go to heaven. You just ain't going to be as far off as you thought you were. <laughs> and you're going to find out that when you get there, it's not going to be near as materialistic as you thought it would be. Pastor Farley, what do you say? Well, when, you were in the great, when we were in the Great Depression and people started talking about walls of of streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, and mansions, and people were going through a depression and going through a hard time. All of that stuff sounded so good, like that's what heaven was. We've always tried to go back to what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. The American dream is about going back to what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, but it's not going to happen by how you do it. It's by us doing His will on earth, just like it is in heaven. What are you saying, Pastor, what does that mean? Oh, that means building homes for people who need homes. That means giving. That means restoring. That means taking place. That means healing somebody that's sick. When somebody's sick, you ought to pray for them. I seen a thing the other day where a pastor, and I think it was in Montana, put miracles at Home Depot. What do you mean? Well, there was a group of people went in a Home Depot. I, I, I don't remember now. It was Indiana or uh, Idaho, Montana. Somewhere, and, and, and they got to pray for people. And there were miracles took place in Home Depot. Amen. Oh, Pastor Farley, we need to go back to the old way, the way it was. When we come to church and we came to church and it always happened to church and miracles got out. No, the miracle needs to happen wherever you are. Amen. Why? Because Jesus is wherever you are. You're in his image. You're in his likeness. Amen. 
God made us like him. Amen? Stand with me. Well, I just realized I may have made the wrong choice of the three guys I picked. Huh? Did you hear that? I needed a lady up there. Absolutely. I sure did. No, here's the reason why I said I picked. See, I, I, I just because I knew they wouldn't be embarrassed to do it and do it, I picked Jason, Rob, and Louie. They, they all fill the pulpit with me. I should have picked somebody who never fits the pulpit. Just because we get up and preach, we're not special. We're not better than you. We're not different than you. You are just as much as in his image as anybody on the 